before we read God's word, let's bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace this morning, believing and trusting thy word, that wherever two or three are gathered in thy name, thou wilt be with us in our midst. Lord, we are more than two or three, but we are few. We pray that thou would give special utterance to thy servant as he would speak from thy word. May it be thy word and thy word alone. And use this vessel of clay for your honour and glory. And open each and every heart that is here this morning to receive the engrafted word in meekness mingled with faith. Father, we pause for a moment now as we think of the great tragedy that happened in this past week. We pray especially for the families. We pray for them. We pray that they would give us hearts of compassion. They'll give us words that we can comfort each other with. And where can we turn but to thy word? For in it is the power of God unto salvation, and in it are the words of eternal life. We ask these things and invite thee in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about the message this morning, my mind turned to the letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, Paul's epistle to Timothy, chapter, or second epistle to Timothy, chapter 3. Second Timothy, chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs was also. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. The Lord is worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace this morning. As the songwriter said, where can we go but to the Lord? Lord, we are surrounded by sin and evil. And many, many plead within and even without. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Lord, we pray this morning that our eyes may be focused. Our eyes may be focused. Our hearts may be set on the Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, who endured such contradiction of men, as thy word says, who endured so much affliction and punishment and rejection, the just suffering for the unjust. He died that we could live. Help us to focus upon the Lamb of God. Father, many times we cannot make sense of life. Many times we cannot understand. But we know that there is nothing outside of thy control and outside of thy will. Father, we, we know that all things work to the good to them that love God. And for every event in history, whether good or evil, all things work for your purposes, the accomplishment of your plan. Father, we once again pray for those families, as your word instructs us to lift up holy hands everywhere for all men. And we intercede for those families that are going through unimaginable grief. We pray for them that through it all, your Holy Spirit may place his hand upon their shoulders, may give them meaning out of what seems meaningless, may give them comfort in their horror and that it may turn many hearts to you for answers and for solutions. 
Father, we pray for those that are not here with us this morning, many that still may be suffering in illness, sickness. We pray that they'll be their comfort and strength, many that are going through many tribulations and trials in their lives also. We pray that they'll be their comfort and strength and physician as well. Be with those that are traveling in, dif- in distant cities, in Ancaster, in Kitchener, wherever they may be. May your presence be felt among them and may they lift up your name this day to glorify their risen and glorious Savior. Be with us now, Father. Speak to us through thy holy word and help us to leave this place as changed people. To love thee more dearly, follow thee more nearly and to grow in grace as thy apostle did write to us. All of these things we pray and ask now as we commend things all things into thy care and keeping and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This letter was written 2,000 years ago, just under 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul is believed to have been executed for his faith around about the year 64 or so AD. And this was the last letter, it appears, that he wrote to his young disciple, Timothy. Timothy was uh, an elder at his young age. We don't know exactly how young, but the Apostle Paul refers to his youth quite often. An elder at the church of Ephesus, a well-known church, a church that Jesus Christ himself visited in the book of Revelation and gave his commendation to them and his condemnation of their fall from their first love. Paul, the apostle, had to remind Timothy many times to not let his youth be a reason for him to shirk, to fear, to cower, to turn back, but to encourage him that he has been given a commission from God to lead and feed the flock at Ephesus. Timothy followed the apostle Paul around in many places. Um, He had a godly heritage. His grandmother and mother, Eunice and Lois, were mentioned in his epistle. So the apostle Paul had to really um, mentor this young man of God to lead and feed the flock. One of the things that he warned him of was that there will come times that were very perilous. I mean, Paul's in a prison cell at this point. He's writing from what some believe was the, the maritime jail in Rome, in a prison cell, maybe dictating to somebody. 
Um, and he's already fearing the execution from Nero. The next chapter tells us that, that it's imminent. And you would imagine that he felt that the last days were at hand. Even when he writes to the church at Corinth, if you read the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 7, he's even telling the people at Corinth, the members at Corinth, to be careful. Even when it came to marriage, he said, you know, I'm Paul the aged, I'm old by now, but I'm giving you some advice. Knowing the situation, knowing the time you live in, uh, it's not wrong for you to marry. But knowing the situation you are in now, it's better that you don't. That's how much he feared, or not feared, that's how much he anticipated the coming of the Lord, the second coming. Because he must have been very well aware of the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 24 when he talked about all the things that will happen before the great and notable day of the Lord. And so here he's, he writes and says, This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous, we understand meaning dangerous. They're dangerous for the believer. They were dangerous at this writing. Paul was in prison for his faith. He uh, enumerates all the things that, in, in, in very broad terms, things that happened. In verse 10, he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my teaching, my manner of life, the example that I've given, the purpose that I have for that kind of a life, the faith that I have in Christ, the long-suffering because of it, the love and the patience I've shown, the persecutions that I have faced, the afflictions which came unto me at Antioch. Um, we know that in Antioch he, he faced those that were of the circumcision, Christians that believed that you still had to keep the law and he had a great struggle with that. He even faced um, Peter who happened to be in Antioch. Just imagine uh, facing facing the apostle that Jesus spoke with, that Jesus instructed had the keys of the kingdom, that Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The one that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to open to the Jews and to the Gentiles, Paul approaches Peter and sees his hypocrisy and he has to face him. And the others that were very um, insistent that the law of Moses be kept. At Iconium, at Lystra, if you read the book of Acts, at Lystra he was stoned and left for dead. Paul was dragged out of the city, stoned and left for dead. Um, he didn't have to repeat this to Timothy for him to get something new. I'm sure Timothy was aware of that. 
But he just reminded him of all the things, all the hardships that he had to go through. If you go back to the second chapter of the same letter in, verse, in chapter 2, verse uh, 1 and on, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may be chosen, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So he's telling Timothy it's not going to be an easy road, it's not an easy path. And he likened his um, conflict as that of a soldier. Now we, at least in our generation today, have not faced perhaps anywhere near what Paul and Timothy was about to face. It is believed that the, uh, the writer of the, the letter to the Hebrews may have been Paul. It's not confirmed. There's some other speculation of who that could have been. It sounds like a little, little bit like Paul. He mentions Timothy in the last chapter, I believe, or close to the end of the book. He mentions that Timothy, our brother, has been set at liberty. So even Timothy was in prison, it appears, or somehow uh, incarcerated by the Romans. In the same letter he says, "Ye have not yet resisted unto blood. But the persecution was coming and it was mounting. And so he was giving warning and encouragement for Timothy to brace himself. He says, know that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now in this list, in this list, there is not one mention of a physical persecution. Not that I can re uh, read it. There's some indirect perhaps. Um, well, I'm not even sure if it's talking about people in the church or not. So let's go through that list and see what were the things that were so perilous in the eyes of Paul as the Holy Ghost spoke to him. Remember, the, we read at the end, of the end of the chapter, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And his letter has become scripture. The letter that Paul wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, we read also in Peter. Where he says that no scripture is of any private interpretation. In, in the second letter to Peter, of Peter. Chapter 1, he says in verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you, may, you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, 
until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, inspiration, I think we need to be very clear here, inspiration is not dictation. In other words, it wasn't that, that an angel came by the side of Paul or Peter and started saying, take these notes down and write this down. But they were inspired by the Holy Ghost. They were moved. The thoughts that they had in their minds and in their hearts, God had moved their hearts and they had penned through the vessel of their flesh, if you will, their mind, their, their, their soul. They had penned this. And God had used this, much in a way that I envision when you fill, um, you fill glasses to different levels and when the wind blows across the glasses, they make different sounds. And God used different people in different ways to convey his message. God used Paul the Apostle in a way that, as passionate as he was to, to get rid of the Christians, he became just as passionate and more to preach the gospel after his conversion. So what he's writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says, first of all, that men shall be lovers of their own selves. I mean, you, you could take this list and you could probably pick so many examples in our world today that we see men are lovers of their own selves. The whole world is taking after celebrityism, idolism, idolatry. You become somebody and something when you become an idol or a celebrity. The, the world is looking to worship something. And instead of worshipping the God of the universe, they choose a man or a woman to worship. Britain's got talent, American Idol, Canadian Idol. You got every country has their own show called Something Idol. We are worshipping man. We become lovers of self. Romans chapter 1 says, as Paul goes through the history of mankind in chapter 1, he says that man began to worship the creature more than the creator. If there's any, if there's any uh, sin that man is guilty of, number one, it's thanklessness or the lack of thanks to God and attributing what they get to God. And number two, it's idolatry. Or maybe they're both the same thing, two different sides of a coin. 
where man worships man. Lovers of selves. And because they love themselves and not God, they become covetous because they look for things that they can satisfy themselves with and not others. God says it's more blessed to give to than, than to receive. And man has says, no, it's more blessed to receive than to give. God made man in his own image, but man makes God in his own image. He wants to put God into a box. He wants to de define who God is. Once he's defined who God is, he's free to do what he wants. Covetousness. That is the last command of the law of Moses. Thou shalt not covet. Covet meaning wanting what somebody else has. Not satisfied with what God has given you. Coveting means, breeds um, ill will. It breeds envy. It breeds... Um, comparing ourselves with each other and not being satisfied. Someone once said that advertising is nothing but the art of making you feel dissatisfied with what you have now. It makes you feel dissatisfied with what you have now. Because that's what's going to motivate you to buy the next product, even though you may not need it. Boasters. Boasting is one that is a sin of making yourself better than somebody else, even if it's your own propaganda that does it. If you, if you look at it, boasting is not a strength, it's a weakness. Boasting is a sign of insecurity. If other men won't praise you, you have to praise yourself. It's a sign of insecurity. And you look at some of the greatest despots in this world. Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot, Lenin, Idi Amin. All of these people, you would think that they were the, the strong people. They were so insecure, they had to kill their enemies to make sure no one gets to their place. The book of Proverbs tells us that the righteous are like lions. They're bold like lions. When you are righteous, your faith and trust is in God. The biggest, the strongest, the wisest, the greatest, the most almighty in the universe. You have all the security you need. Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Frankly, this world is full of cowards who put up a front. when innocent lives are destroyed. One analysis of the work 
of the tragedy this past week was when people can't make a name for themselves with their talents and their abilities, then they know they can make a, a name for themselves by doing something that is so wicked and heinous. Because the first thing the media does is paste it on the, on the networks, on the internet, on the televisions, and all of a sudden you become famous. And one analyst said, that is why we're getting repeated so frequently in these last days where people want to be important. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but that's one, one reason perhaps that there is so much evil in this world. goes back to the very basics, doesn't it? In the garden. When God gave Adam and Eve the inheritance of his garden, of the world, the world was at their fingertips. They were given charge of all the creation. They were given charge of all the animals. And God said, you can do anything you want. You can eat of anything you want, except you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day in which you eat of that tree, ye shall die. So who appears on the scene? Satan. Satan is just another name for adversary. It's a title, but it means adversary. The adversary comes up and he says, shall you really die? Did God really say that? He knows that when you take of that fruit, which is delightful to the eyes, that you will be like him. And that's what tempted the first father and mother on this earth. The basics, the lust of the flesh, John says, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Who's going to be better? Who's going to be faster? Who's going to be bigger? Who's going to be the most important? And if people don't know, I will promote myself. And if they still don't know, I'll do something so wicked that people are going to remember me in this life. take the lives of so many innocent children at the age of six and seven and then to kill yourself is not an act of bravery, it's cowardice. And though one will not be judged in human courts for such heinous crimes, there's going to be a judge. The judge of the living and the dead that no one will escape from. Oh, we feel sorry for them too. Because it's going to be an everlasting punishment. A punishment where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, Jesus says. But the, the sin of pride blinds. The sin of pride that lifts us up and makes us want to be something, something so important. And 
better than our neighbour. It blinds us. Paul writes here to this, in this letter, he says, Evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You are deceived when you are blinded to the reality in which you live. Not only deceiving others, but being deceived by the father of lies. Blasphemous, evil speakers. Disobedient to parents. The devil is so sly, so deceitful, that he has, in many ways, handcuffed parents. Or tried to handcuff parents. I saw a response on the internet two days ago, and the question was asking, why would God allow something like this to happen? And the response came back in the next... Uh, post and it said well why would I let it happen to your schools you've taken me out of your schools you cannot pray our father anymore in schools you cannot mention the name of Jesus anymore in schools the little girl cannot sing Jesus loves me for a special number in front of a class but someone can sing something from death metal in, in the front of the class because it's not religious. Why would God allow something like that? Perhaps we've chosen not to let him in. Parents, cannot discipline children anymore the way the Bible instructs us. Yes, there's been abuse in the past. Yes, the world has not corrected children according to the Bible. But because of that, you cannot discipline children as the Bible has instructed us. If you choose to listen to that law. We've replaced good for evil and evil for good. The prophet said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Are we surprised? Maybe we should be thanking God more that it hasn't been more evil than what it appears to be today. There's a scripture in Thessalonians I'd like to share with you. Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's speaking about the last days. There were people at the time of Timothy, in, in his, um, maybe even his church, where they were talking about that, that the day of the Lord has passed. There will be, that the resurrection has already been completed, and some people were fretting. That they've missed the resurrection. They've missed that first resurrection. 
And Paul had to actually excommunicate a couple of false teachers. In 2 Thessalonians 2 it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the, son of, uh, that the man of perdition be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, and that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There were people at the time of this writing that were actually posing as apostles of truth, writing letters in the name of Paul to the church of Thessalonica. And they were saying that, you know, the day is gone. Paul says, no. The day of the Lord has not come because these signs have not yet come to pass. There's going to be a great falling away. And you think, what could be greater than today? And there's going to be one that comes and opposes himself and exalts himself above all that is called God and his worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I'm not going to get into that, to speculation, but there will come a time, we believe, that there will be the beast this one world ruler who, was, who is going to solve all of our problems. You know, Adolf Hitler was one to the German people who was going to solve all of their problems. Ended up in six million at least dying in the furnaces of the concentration camps. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you I told you these things and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. God is withholding, at this time, God was withholding something from the people. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. You know, when you read this in today's modern language, it doesn't seem to make sense. God is withholding something. And then he says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth, are you withholding or are you allowing? That word letteth, if you read it in the Greek, I don't know why, the, why there was a confusion of the time with using that word. But that word letteth means prohibits, withholds. God was stopping something even at that time. He was restraining, that's what that word means. He was restraining iniquity. Only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. 
Perhaps we should be more thankful that God is still restraining evil today. God is still restraining evil today. You know, some people believe, there are some people that believe that we're living now in the time of tribulation. Because it makes sense to their theology. Well, if we are living in Canada in the time of the tribulation, I would hate to be in a place when the things that Christ talked about in the book of Matthew and in the book of Revelation, what's going to happen. This is not the time of the tribulation, the Jacob's trouble that the Old Testament talks about. We are living in perilous times, but I believe we are far from the persecution and from the evil that will ascend upon our nation. Now, there are other nations that are going through far greater trial than we are. You just have to look around you today. If, if we haven't seen the evil and iniquity of what happened last week, this is happening in spots here and there. But that is going to be a constant, constant pr problem, a constant curse. Paul says to the Thess Thessalonians, that time has not yet come. We don't see this world leader, this antichrist, this beast sitting in a temple of God as if he were God. Actually making himself greater than God. God's Holy Spirit is restraining evil. But God allows things to happen. Not that he wills things to happen, but he allows things to happen. In the book of Psalms, the only psalm by Moses, God says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but a yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood they are asleep. In the morning they are like the grass which groweth up, and in the morning it flourisheth and groweth up, and the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath that we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. We don't understand. We don't understand all the workings of God. And why? I, I... When you see the, the scene of the, the Father looking up to heaven, asking God for answers, I can't say I comprehend that.
But God says, you want to take me out of your schools? You want to take me out of your homes? You want to take me out of your churches even? I'm giving you what you want. And, you know, I'm going to go back to the old saying that God doesn't send anyone to hell. God allows men to do what they want. Because God doesn't enforce or impose his love upon anyone. God doesn't force you to love him. God wants you to love him and to love the truth. Because it is right. And it comes from God. God doesn't send anyone to hell. God invites everyone to escape hell. But when you choose another path that he tells you not to go down you're going to end down the path of destruction God calls that the broad road in Matthew 7 and he says many be there that go thereon John 3 In the Nicodemus discourse, Jesus tells Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but that he, he that believeth not is condemned already. Your condemnation comes because you reject the life rope that God is offering you. You're in a burning building. God is saying, let me catch you. And you said, no, I'd rather die here in this burning building. And God is not going to force himself to come to him. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the condemnation. Not that God sends you to hell. This is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. It's your choice. Your choice. God withholds evil. God gives you a chance. God warns you. God extends his loving arms like Jesus did and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that stone the prophets and kill those that come to you, that are sent to you, how often would I have gathered you as a hen doth gather her chicks and you would not. You refused. He said, Behold, your city is left unto you desolate and I will not come back again to you. Until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. 
God wants you to love him because of who he is. I came across a poem just yesterday. I'd like to read it. This was a poem that someone in North America was a song actually. Someone in North America as he was observing as he was observing the the genocide that was going on in Yugoslavia. He couldn't comprehend how a people that seemingly lived so well together when their leader died, Joseph Broz Tito, that all of a sudden they became each other's worst enemies. He said, having lived in this war-torn country back in the late 70s, I grew to love the people with whom I'd lived. It didn't matter to me their ethnic origin, Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian. They were all just happy, fun people to me, and I counted it as friends, people from each region. Of course, I was always aware of the bigotry and ethnic differences that bubbled just below the surface, but I always hoped that the peace this rich country enjoyed would continue indefinitely. Obviously, that, that didn't happen. When Yugoslavian President Joseph Broz Tito died, different political factions jockeyed for position. And the inevitable happened. Civil war. Suddenly, my friends were pitted against each other. Serbian brother wouldn't talk to Croatian sister-in-law. Bosnian mother disowned Serbian son-in-law. And so on it went. Meanwhile, all I could do was stay glued to the TV back in the US and sink deeper into a sense of hopelessness. Finally, one night, I began channeling these deep feelings into a wordless melody, wordless melody. Then little by little, I added words, can you hear, can you feel? I started with these feelings, sensations that the children struggling to live in this difficult time might be feeling Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian children all felt the same feelings of confusion and sadness and it was for them that I was writing this song. The children didn't hate anybody. They didn't care about who owned the land or who had the power or the money. These were adult neuroses. They just wanted to have a mom and a dad and a place to play. This was the song called Prayer of the Children. Can you hear the prayer of the children? On bended knee in the shadow of an unknown room, empty eyes with no more tears to cry, turning heavenward toward the light. Crying, Jesus help me, to see the morning light of one more day. But if I should die before I wake, I pray my soul to take. Can you feel the hearts of the children aching for home, for something of their very own, reaching hands with nothing to hold on to? But hope, 
for a better day. A better day. Crying, Jesus, help me to feel the love again in my own land. But if unknown roads lead me away from home, give me loving arms away from harm. Can you hear the voice of the children softly pleading for silence in their shattered world? Angry guns preach a gospel full of hate, blood of the innocent on their hands. Crying, Jesus, help me to feel the sun again upon my face. For when the darkness clears, I know you're near. Bring in peace again. Brother, find the hymn, please. Seventeen. Hymn number seventeen.
Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy most holy, eternal and everlasting name. Lord, we come before you this morning hour, though few in number, yet with great sorrow and with much anguish and pain within our hearts, dear Lord. Not only for what happened this past week here in America, but as a brother did remind us that my first father and mother are that evil characteristics of sin did enter in. Our brother rose upon brother. How pride and arrogance entered into the heart of man. How much violence dominated the lands. Much, so much ungodliness and degradation of society. Father, to the point where thou and I sorrow didst, were grieved and didst bring that great flood here upon this earth. And Father, the little evil that we do see, how much pain and anguish it causes us. <coughs> but oh God, who does see everything, who does know everything, Father, we must accredit unto thee the honor and the glory that is due unto thee. Lord, for thy overwhelming patience. Lord, for thy long suffering and thy great intent and care for even rebellious and wicked men. And Father, we, we cannot forget, Lord, that it wasn't so simple as sometimes we hear, well, if you want me, I'm here, if not, I'm not. No, Lord, thou didst give everything, O Heavenly Father. Thou didst put the plans in motion before the foundation of the world. And thou didst send like son, thy dearly beloved son, to that cruel cross on Calvary, who gave up his rights and the powers that he had, O Father, to endure the punishment and the suffering that belonged unto every man and woman that has come into this world. And Father, woe unto us if we forget this. If we turn our hearts and our thoughts and our understanding away from thy true word and from the leading of thy Holy Spirit, which does lead in all gentleness and goodness and holiness and in the undefiled way. And yet, Father, we come feeling that we are somehow guilty even of the atrocities that are happening in the world because we have not submitted our whole hearts unto Thee to be zealous in, in living and, and helping and, and teaching all things that the Lord has taught us. Father, forgive us for being so <clears throat> complacent and so slow to heart and dull in spirit 
And Father, renew a vibrant faith in us, O Heavenly Father, that thy light may show, shine a little bit more fervently in this evil world. Lord, grant comfort and strength unto all those who are being persecuted, all those who are suffering greatly at the hands of rebellious, wicked, unreasonable men, especially children, as we have heard this morning, Lord. Watch over them. Grant them release from the evils of men. Bring to naught the evil thoughts and the wickedness of sinful men and replace it with the goodness and the mercy and the pure thoughts and fruits of love that's come from thee. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank thee for thy word which we have heard this morning hour. May it embrace our hearts and have dominance within our spirits and our souls that we would honor and glorify thee, O Lord, with every aspect of our being. Be with those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Comfort and uphold them. The memory of love, the greatest gift, Lord, when one has departed, cannot be so easily lost. Heavenly Father, continue to work in the hearts of those who are reaching out and, and teaching thy word and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Grant them the wisdom and the humility to preach thy word in truth and in love and to win many more souls for thee, Lord, while the time is yet available. Heavenly Father, there are many things that we could pray for now. Lord, thou dost know the burdens and the needs of each and every one that is here. And Heavenly Father, we would just pray, continue to be gracious unto us, continue to lead us and help us, for Father, without thee, nothing matters, nothing is of value, nothing good can come. And so we turn unto thee, we thank thee for all things, we praise thy most holy name, in the blessed name of thy dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother, find a closing hymn, please. Hymn number 86, the first two and the last verses.
verse 4 was also said. Verse 4. When Satan One thing that the analysts and the media are asking is, so when, when is the next one going to occur? We know that, as we've read, that evil men shall wax worse and worse, and things will happen that may just make this past incident far, far less than we imagine it to be now. The message that Paul gave to Timothy is, don't be surprised when you see this happen. I want you to brace for the future. I want to warn you ahead of time so when it does happen, you won't be surprised. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. On the Mount of Olives, as they sat across and looked at the beautiful temple, Jesus said that not one stone shall be placed upon the other, shall be standing upon the other. Then they asked him, what time, what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of all things? And then he went through one after the other, the things that will happen so that they would not be surprised. Even in one place, Jesus says, when these things happen, you come before governors and before kings, don't even think what you're going to say. For in that hour, the Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say. What does it mean for us as Christians? We have no control of what happens in the world. But we can have control through the Holy Spirit of what happens with our lives and how we submit ourselves to God. Only by submitting ourselves to God can we navigate the perilous times that we are in. And if it happens that we are part of that persecution, that we are part of that, we become victims of men's fierceness and violence God will give us the grace to endure. One thing we do know are those children are in the courts of glory. And those that suffer and endure for his namesake will be in courts of glory. That's one thing we're assured of. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.